Hey everyone, I'm really excited about something new that we have to offer you called Real Talk Weekly. This is gonna be an email-only engagement. I'm just gonna slide into your inbox once a week with a few things that represent like the small ways that we actually grow and change. So each week you're gonna get a question. You can use it for journaling. You can use it for conversation. You're gonna get a spiritual thought, something inspirational, something from scripture that's gonna help you get grounded in your identity. And then I'm gonna give you a thought, a takeaway, a practical next step. We all know that change happens incrementally over time. So you can think of this email as your companion on that journey. You can sign up at NicoleEunis.com slash Realtalk. Again, that's NicoleEunis.com slash Realtalk. See you there. I've had this propensity all my life. When I try something the first for the first time, I feel like I should be an expert at it, which makes no sense at all because I've never done this before. So you know, leaving Chick-fil-A to become a pastor of a startup church, or I, mean, I, I had to give myself a little bit of a break to go, you know what, I'm making this up as I go along. Because everybody's looking at me as the leader, expecting since I'm the leader to have all the answers and I've got more questions than they do. The lost words, but I don't feel so lost with you. Fly through the mountain ranges, but I'll never see the danger. That Hey, you guys. Welcome back to Let's Be Real. I'm super excited about today's episode. We are going to be hearing from Jeff Henderson. Jeff Henderson started his career as a marketing guy at Chick-fil-A. Then he became the pastor of Gwinnett Church. He has spoken with business leaders all around the world. He is an amazing source, and he's written a super practical book called What to Do Next, which is about how you shrink the risk gap when you're considering a career transition. So if you are feeling a little antsy in your job or you know somebody who is, go ahead and pause this podcast, send it to them. You're about to get a lot of great wisdom from Jeff. Check out his book, What to Do Next. He includes this career risk calculator that helps you understand kind of where you are in the process and what can be your very next step on the way to your flourishing life. Here he is. Okay, Jeff, thank you for making time to spend time with us today on Let's Be Real. It is so good to have you. I've known about you and of you for many, many years, and it's just really an honor to get to hear from you and learn about your wisdom today on the show. I'm so honored, Nicole. Thanks for saying that. Thanks for having me here. I'm really, really excited to be here. Oh, good. I'm glad. And I am really excited about your book. Like, It's awesome that you've written this, and um, we're excited to kind of hear more about it. I First of all, I am just was totally drawn in immediately by the title, What to Do Next. So somebody listening or watching right now is like, please tell me more. I just ap- appreciate the like super practical way that you're approaching transitions, career transitions. And I'm curious, of course, how did this become a passion for you, both personally and in the work that you're doing? It's something I observed by the questions I was getting per- you know, really from a lot of different people. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. you know, younger folks. It was, you know, I'm in my mid fifties. So they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about making a transition even at this age. And, uh, I'm just not sure how to figure out what to do next. And I have had four big career moves over the last 20, some 20 something mm-hmm. years. And I began to observe, you know, there were some things that I did that I would just, I just did. And mm-hmm. it really worked out for me in terms of making the best possible decision. And, uh, as the, the more I got a, got these questions, I thought, you know what, I think I could probably 
provide some some things of what to do and some things of mm-hmm. what not to do based on my mm-hmm. my my experience. And so, and then two years ago, I was actually making a big transition in the middle of a global pandemic in my mid fifties when most everyone would say, "Hey, is the older you get, the less risk you should take." And uh-huh. um, but I had a mentor that said, "No, no, no, that's the exact opposite. The older mm-hmm. you get." the more risk you should take. That doesn't mean Mm. foolish, careless, unwise decisions, but it's keep growing, keep, keep being brave, keep moving forward. And so as I began to write kind of my lessons of what I've learned in this current transition, that's kind of how the book came to be. Mm. And then when I would ask somebody, Hey, do you know, do you know someone who's trying to figure out what to do next? And they would say, absolutely. And honestly, <laughs> that's me. T- you know, they would say, and yeah. that's me too. So I thought, right. okay, maybe this might be a helpful resource for people who We're trying to figure out what to do next. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about what was different for you in that first transition. You said you've made like four major moves in your Mm -hmm. career. What was different in that first transition as opposed to the last transition? And what might that have to do with kind of age and experience as well? Well, This last one, Nicole, I made it as an empty nester with my wife. So Mm. the first one, we moved from the business world, I was in marketing at Chick-fil-A to helping launch a church. So we were having to take a massive pay cut. Okay. We were starting a church. This was one of the first video churches, multi-site mm. video churches. So this was kind of an unheard of thing because when you would explain it, I mean, imagine me sitting down, my in-laws and my parents going, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to leave Chick-fil-A where they're, go- I think they're going to make it. You know, I think they're going to survive <laughs> to I'm going to help launch a church where the preacher's on video. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. <laughs> so, so I had young kids, all of that. So there was actually, you know, there's, there's risk on both sides. And, but this one was, what if this doesn't work? And mm. every move has that question to it. Yes. What if this doesn't work? What I didn't have at that first time was experience of, okay, when you have difficult days, when you have challenging days, it doesn't mean that this move is a, is a failure. It just means that, you know, anything worth trying is going to come with its challenges. And so I would say just my stage of life, not having the experience that I have now of understanding mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be some ups and downs, but it doesn't mean yeah. that you've you failed. And understanding that when you try something and it failed, that idea failed, that doesn't mean that you failed. And mm-hmm. you have to separate those those two. And the experience mm-hmm. that I have and the older that I've gotten, uh, I just have, it doesn't make it easier, but you're just aware of when the challenges are going to come. Mm, it's so good. How do you help people... I just resonate a lot with everything you said. And I'm, I want to ask a million follow-up questions about all those changes. But one of the things that I'm I'm thinking is driving you from marketing and Chick-fil-A, which I'm sure was awesome, to doing this new thing, which is, you know, a startup scratch thing, to now doing your own thing with lots in between. How do you separate passion and profession? Because it feels like to me, especially with young leaders, those two things feel really interlocked. Like if I if I like this thing, I've got to find a way to monetize it. This has to be what I do. And I, I struggle to find that middle zone of saying, when is something a good, solid thing to be doing and your passion can be there and it can be outside of there? And when is it really not right? Or when is it time to consider making a change? Mm-hmm. I think there's a comparison between what's a business and what's a hobby. Okay. 
you know, you know the old adage: um, a business makes you money, and a hobby costs you money. And <laughs> and a lot of our passions are hobbies, honestly, and we should yeah. pursue them. But if we can't monetize them, if we can't make a living out of them, we have to be aware of that. And yeah. when I hear follow your passion, I get it and I can support it. And that's that's awesome. But I think there needs to come around that for some real life questions such as, OK, can you make a living doing this? Can mm-hmm. you be make, can you make a living? And is this the life that you want to live? I mean, if you're mm-hmm. going to become a country music star, you're probably going to have to go to Nashville. Your your nights are pretty much gone. Because you're going to have to be playing. Is that the lifestyle you want to live? And if that's yeah. if the answer to that is yes, absolutely, go for mm-hmm. it. But you got, you know, the the reality is there's it's, there's going to be a long road ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so follow your passions, absolutely. But I think also along with that, understanding what are your strengths and gifts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're good at things that we're not necessarily passionate about. So there may yeah. be a season where you have to pursue that to make a living and mm-hmm. pay the bills. That's why I'm a big believer in side hustles. Mm-hmm. And you, know, so you can still pursue your passion out there if it's, if it's a hobby and then try to figure out a way to monetize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean it's always a financial decision, but there, you know, there is a, a sense of responsibility that comes to the people in our lives. And if I'm always just pursuing my passions, but it's not, I'm not, I'm not being, faithful and responsible to the people that I have obligations and responsibilities to, there's going to be a disconnect there. Mm. And, mm. uh, and sometimes I, I think we got to be really, really careful that our passions don't lead us to irresponsibility and yes. an irresponsibility uh, way of life. And so that's why I would always get the blessing of wise mentors, mm. my, my in-laws, my parents, and, and most of all, my wife, Wendy, because here's the thing I've learned for those of us who are married, uh, and, and, and if you're single, you're listening to this, this is helpful advice in terms of, you know, there's a biblical principle that says, you know, plans fail for lack of counselors, counselors, mm-hmm. but with many advisors, plans succeed. So I wanted to get as many people around this decision as possible to say, green light, go for it. Mm. Um, because if it didn't work, Nicole, I could blame them and said, well, you told me to do this, right? <laughs> That's right. I know. I'm always telling people, I'm like, please, you need to have a council of people that you can blame when things don't go well. Absolutely. So don't keep it to yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> but as it relates to my wife, Wendy, we wanted to make sure that we were in agreement on this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that when the challenging days come, we don't look at each, one of us doesn't look at each other and say, well, I told you we shouldn't have done this, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we are aware that the challenging days are coming going to come because that's if you're going to try something new and do something you've right. never done before um and this is something i've had to learn i've i've had this propensity all my life when i try something the first for the first time i feel like i should be an expert at it mm-hmm. which makes no sense at all mm. because i've never done this before mm-hmm. so you know leaving chick-fil-a to become a pastor of a startup church or i mean i i had to give myself a little bit of a break to go you know what yeah I'm making this up as I go along because everybody's right. looking at me as the leader, expecting since I'm the leader to have all the answers and I've got more questions than they do. So, yeah. So all of that is really, really important in terms of pr- making this move. So knowing that my wife, Wendy and I were in agreement that, that this is the right decision, you know, and John Maxwell talks about the law of timing. There's the right decision, mm-hmm. but it might be the wrong time. Yeah. And if it's the right decision at the wrong time, it's the wrong decision. So timing is really important. I also think just naming, um, like naming the non-negotiables, like when I've worked with and counseled younger folks, particularly around next moves, career transitions, 
I try to get them to name, like, what is it exactly that is a non-negotiable for you? A lot of people, Richmond is a city with an unbelievable gravitational pull. Like people do not leave. They leave Mm -hmm. for a time and they come back. And so a lot of folks that I would work with, and I grew up military, so I'm just like a rolling stone. I'm ready to pull up and move anytime. So it would it would surprise me, and I found that I had to ask the question, is Richmond a non-negotiable for you? Like, would you rather do your passion in another city or something secondary in this city? Because starting to name what you really care about, what does it mean to make a living? What does it mean to pay the bills? Like, let's start there. Um, I found that that helps with risk, which I know you like to talk about a lot. Like, how do you know what kind of risk you're taking? Um, I think you said in a, a reel on Instagram recently, courage isn't the antidote to fear. Action is the antidote to fear. Right. So when you are in that place where you might feel stuck or might might not even be clear, like it feels too daunting to make a change, what is it that you advise for folks who maybe, and and maybe this is the second part of the question, what are some of those signals that maybe we're ready for a transition mm-hmm. or we're looking for a transition? Well, let, let me do this. Let me flip the script if it's okay. I know this is your yeah, podcastical, but as you oh, would, please. Let, let, let's let's take one of your career transitions. You don't have to give okay. a lot of details if you don't want to, but what were some things that you used to make that decision? And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back and answer your question, but I'd love for, Fantastic. to, to use I you as, love a, this, as a case, case study. That's my uh, favorite way to podcast. And you for can, sure. you can pick whichever one you want, but yeah. just talk, walk, walk us through your decision-making process. So, um, early, uh, probably my, I've made a transition probably every seven years or so in life. Me too. Major career transitions. So I started in fitness, full-time fitness, went back to school. I was a therapist with my own practice, then went into full-time ministry while I was writing and speaking. And now I'm like in this consultant space somewhere between all those things. And particularly the move from my own practice to uh, ministry. There was no job for me. There was nothing I was like going to. I basically was stepping into an unknown, but I did have what I've heard called negative preparation, where you start to feel like some of your anchors get pulled up and you look back and think, what's going on there? And so I had a couple of big ones for me. One of them that was, um, it's hard to say it this way, but with the counseling world, I felt like I had mastered that specific part of the job and my heart was looking for something bigger. So, and I didn't know if bigger meant maybe I should start a counseling center and I'm going to have other therapists who work with me. Maybe I need to start a program that people can enter into. But I, I had this longing for a, a, a greater vision than a more reactive role. So that was one. Mm-hmm. The second was I, in a negative way, the, the closest relationships to me, I started to feel a shift in the way that I was engaging that I think was related to the work that I was doing. So I was just very aware of that. And then the third thing was I had a glimmer and a shimmer of some other giftings that were being called out in me that weren't being used there. So for me, like those things all came about and I was in a position where I had an opportunity to do some writing. And so I ended up closing shop basically for six months, just being like, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap my practice down and I'm going to give the Lord six months to see what becomes. And then in that six months, I had a a job that was offered to me within ministry and that became, began that new trajectory. So that's the story of that transition. That's fantastic. So your initial question was about risk. So talk to me about your relationship to risk as it relates to those, those decisions. 
Yeah. So um, I think definitely money with my husband and I has always been our greatest spiritual growth opportunity, if you'd like to call it that. <laughs> and so a- engaging, and he's great at mitigating and measuring risk, and I'm great at intuitive, aggressive leaps. So together we're a good team, but it creates a good healthy tension. And so, yeah, there was a lot of, well, how will this impact you? What does this look like to the bottom line? Thankfully, we were in a season where um, childcare and my work almost equaled each other. So stepping away meant that you know we it wasn't like a huge net loss. So the risk was actually really low. The risk was much higher in my identity mm-hmm. and in my sense of I feel I love the feeling of being a professional. I love the feeling of having something to offer people, and I knew my ego was wrapped up in that. So stepping away from that into a very anonymous season that I didn't know if it would work out and I didn't know if it would be successful was much riskier mm-hmm. than the actual financial like bottom line. That's so great. So let me let me uh, dissect. I don't like that word. Yeah. Dissect what you just uh, your experience. So you talked about um, in essence security and identity. And mm. so that's the biggest risks that, that people have to deal with in a decision yep. like this. Security meaning, let's take financial security or, hey, how do I pay for health you know, insurance, yeah. that kind of stuff. And typically in a marriage, typically that one is more risk adverse than the other. One embraces sure. it. And you, so, you, so you reference that. Um, so what I tell people is when they ask, hey, how can I eliminate risk with this situation? And I'm like, well, that's not the world we live in. You can't, <laughs> you, can't. you can't eliminate risk, but you can reduce it. You can manage mm. it. You can shrink it. You can lead it. So what I, what I hear you saying is in your particular case, you were able to shrink the risk of financial security. Right. Um, and that's probably easier to do than it is to risk the, the, I, to, to, to do the risk of the identity. Sure. And in many, in many, many ways, that's the bigger risk. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I two years ago, I went, so we helped plant three uh, churches in the Atlanta area over 17 years. So I went from, oh, you're the lead pastor at Gwinnett Church to, yeah. now what do you do now? Oh, uh-huh. you, like, you, you like wrote a, what? like, I don't understand. So suddenly my identity was kind of ripped away. But yeah. I've had that. You've had that. Or, Oh, Jeff used to be in marketing at Chick-fil-A. You're like, what, what is this church you're doing? So it's, you yeah. know, and then all of that starts, you know, challenging yourself. And, but th- it's so healthy. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very similar to call my, my wife, Wendy says, okay, it's year six. Are we, you know, what's happening? You know, <laughs> you know. And, um, but I think part of the reason a lot of leaders and a lot of people don't leave where they are is because mm-hmm. when they start to realize, oh, if I if I walk away from this, I I don't have a really good answer right now to the question of what do you do, and yeah. so they they hold on a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality for all of us: when today is over, we are one day closer to that being a reality for whatever yeah. you do. And mm-hmm. so, um, the the great thing about pursuing next in a in a in a process wise way yeah. is that it allows you to deal with the risk of security and identity. Yes. And that's the, back to your earlier question about how to, mm-hmm. you know, how do you deal with risk? And so early on in my, my marriage with Wendy, we, in our, at our church, we went through two financial small groups because here we are, you got two different people. We're melding our financial yeah. stories together. 
And so it was so helpful because little did we know, Nicole, six years later, we would, as I mentioned, have to take a huge pay cut to go pursue this church that we were wanting to be a part of. But one of the things that breaks my heart and one of the reasons I wrote this book is when next arrives to someone's life and they Mm -hmm. can't pursue it because they're not ready financially, Mm -hmm. that breaks my heart. Um, And so one of the worst things that can happen to somebody is when the right opportunity arrives and they're not prepared for it. And this, this requires some discipline because I I have a, I hear a lot of people going, if you know, if I just knew what to do next. Okay. Well, I can't tell you what to do in terms of that specific idea, but I can tell you what to be, to do, to get ready from that, when that idea appears. And Mm -hmm. one of them is to get your financial situation in a position so that you're able to move forward. And that's what I hear you do. You did with your husband. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to figure this out. We're going to do childcare with this and that. And, yeah. and that. But so now that you've got the financial piece covered, now we can deal with the larger, more emotional, harder issue, which is the identity risk. Mm-hmm. And, but what I've told people is you can't receive a new version of you until you let go of the old version of you. Mm. And if you don't feel like you're growing in your current role and there's something you, you said a glimmer and shimmer. I love that phrase because that's what happened to me. The, the, Oh, you, we can launch this church and it's a video church. And if we can figure this out, other communities around the world could do that. Okay. So that's a glimmer and shimmer where I'm like, Oh no, I think my current situation I don't like this word, but is ruined, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> because now I got to pursue this glimmer and shimmer. Yeah. And I was so intrigued by that, that it made the current situation thinking, you know what, this has been great. I love it. But I think this is going to require me and leverage some skills that I have probably more so than where I am right now. Mm-hmm. But you're still going to have risk. And yeah. it's still going to go, Hey, what if this doesn't work? And all yeah. of that fear and doubt, it, 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 I don't think that is, I don't think we live in a world where that will go away. Yeah. You, you mentioned, and I, I loved it. I'm going to flip the script on you now, Jeff, it's your turn. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned, we both named both a negative and a positive kind of as flags in a transition. Um, and, and I'm curious, is that what you see with most folks or, or maybe another way to say it is, have you walked with people who go through the process that you lay out and decide to stay? Absolutely. And that's my, my plea in the book is this is not a plea for you to leave your job tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. You know, my plea for you is to look at your situation and go, is, is the time now? And there, right. and, and I share in the book a time when we got a huge job offer to go back into marketing and mm. it was the right opportunity at the wrong time for our family mm-hmm. because my kids were in, were still in, with us in terms of being at home. They're, they're, you know, we're empty nesters now and uh, I would have to miss a lot of ball games, uh, all of mm-hmm. that. And um, I'm, I just said, you know what, just for, I'm not talking for anyone else, just for winding me, that's just not a price we're willing to pay right now. And, um, so we're, 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 we're just not going to do that. So there are those moments where you, where you go, nope, what's next for me is to stay where I am. But even going through that process is so helpful, um, because it begins to ask, you begin to ask yourself the question, okay, well, if I am going to stay, then how can I sign up and, and bring the best version of me where I currently 
am. And when you say no for the right reasons, I, I feel like opportunities, it might not be that particular opportunity, but I think other opportunities will eventually pre- present themselves mm. at the right time. Mm-hmm. Was that hard for you personally? You know, just in being a guy who's taken risks, who's changed things, like to have what would feel like, I guess, the way you described it, a step up the ladder, if you were going to call it that. How was that for you personally to have the right opportunity, but then to to know it was the wrong timing mm-hmm. based on your family, not based on probably you personally? For me, it was the marketing dream job and it never came back around. And so, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's more challenging to say no to something and there's, you're not having another opportunity. It's just, yeah. uh, I'm saying no. And I actually had to say no twice. They came back around. Mm-hmm. and said, are you sure? Because um, this doesn't, this doesn't <laughs> make any like, sense. You're like, please, please um, go away and please don't come back right. before I change my mind. And please don't yeah. mention a number. So, <laughs> but for me, I just, again, this is me. I can't speak for anyone else because somebody else could look at this situation and go, you know what? I'm definitely going to make that work. And they're right. And as yeah. they look at their own life and their own values and what they value out of life, absolutely. I'm not going to question that. As for Wendy and me, I just wasn't going to risk um, this fleeting season as a dad. Mm. just wasn't going to risk that because it was too high of a value for me. Mm-hmm. And I just knew what I would, you know, calling home and asking, hey, how how the soccer match go, mm-hmm. you know, after. And again, I'm just talking about me. So, but yeah, there was a, there, it, it was hard. And to say no, and there's, then you go back to your current day job, which is awesome, yeah. which is great. But, you know, you're saying, but you have to understand, I am actually saying yes to something really, really important. I'm saying yes to my, my family right now in this particular mm-hmm. season. Now, there may be other opportunities and situations where someone would say, hey, I've got to, I'm going to say yes to this and I can still value my family. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's why every situation and every person and is, is really unique. That's why I try to talk generally about this that people need to find their own values as it relates to next. Yes. But if your kids are older and I've seen this, you know, as a pastor, I've, I've actually met with families on this to say, Hey, if you're planning on leaving, moving, uprooting your family, you don't inform your teenage kids of this. You invite them in the decision-making process. Yeah. Yeah. Cause how would you like it? If somebody came into your life and said, Hey, guess what? Next month we're moving to, you know, the other side of the country. Wait, what? Don't describe my life for me, Jeff. Yeah. This is creating a lot of trauma that I haven't yet dealt with. But um, well, I do. We, I, I completely understand that. Well, we yeah. all have that, and so <laughs> um, and so, you know, learning through those and involving your kids in the process. Obviously, you know, if they're if they're old enough to understand what the process is, and so, I mean, we went in. I were having dinner last night with a couple that have really young kids. So. But I was even at that age saying, you need to at least let them know what dad and mom are doing, what their decision-making process is. So yeah, there are times when you you just have to say no to next because it's not the right time. Well, and I, I love what you did just for a minute there because you were you know enough about the industry. Obviously, you've been in it. And you were picturing the reality of it, not just the ideal of it when you said, I'm picturing myself calling to ask how the soccer game went. And I think that's a really powerful tool is to is to really visualize kind of not just the highs, but also the lows. And there was an opportunity that came across my plate recently and the lows of that potential work could be so low that it sober it, it created like a very sober-minded approach in the conversation. Cause I was like, 
I don't, I need to not picture the highs of this thing, but actually the lows, because those are very real and mm -hmm. they have an impact on mm -hmm. the season of life that you're in. You know, we're, we're right behind you. We've launched one kid and we have uh, a 15 and mm -hmm. 18 year old. So we're kind of right there, but yeah. we're not there yet. And, you know, it is a family value. And one of the reasons that I made my last transition was partially due to that. Like, what does it look like to be really present in this fleeting season? But I'll tell you what, it's been harder to, to be obedient to that than I expected. Like, it's harder to say no um, to those opportunities, but they usually come with a lot of peace, even if it's also tinged with a little bit of sorrow, a little bit of FOMO, a little bit of wanting it to be different. But. Oh, sure, sure. And there's there's trade-offs in everything. And the other reality, too, is when you move, even if you move to that next season, um, you know, that there's going to be ups and downs and challenges. Yeah. And that's why I really counsel folks, at least stay a year in this next season. Because, you know, you're going to be convinced when you bump up against Mm -hmm. you know, a difficult situation, if possible, if there's, you, you go to work for somebody and they're, you know, they're treating you horribly. Okay. I, that that's, but, but try to at least give that next season a year mm -hmm. and, and work through the ups and downs. Because again, in this fourth move that we've had, the ups and downs, the particular nature of them might catch mm -hmm. me by surprise, but the fact that they're coming doesn't catch me by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so my God, this is this is this is part of it. In fact, I'll give you really specific example, Nicole. So I'm an introvert, and so I go from leading a team of 60 people over two churches to going to a coffee shop and opening up my laptop and just working by myself. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, first glance, I'm like, as an introvert, I mean, I, I love I love the team that I serve, but man, I there's you know I love people, and I'm one of them, but with people comes drama, right? So there's, there's, there's no drama just sitting <laughs> in my laptop, right? But I began to discover over time, oh no, I'm lonely. Yeah. I'm by myself most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I, I didn't, because again, this is the first time I've ever been on my own. Yeah. Um, I, this is the first time in my career I haven't gotten paid every two weeks, right? So, yeah. so it's a, my friend John Acuff says, welcome to the wild, wild west, you know, where it you is. have to, you know, go out and, and actually go out and make something happen to get paid. And so, <laughs> um, so there are things, but I, but when I, when I started to experience loneliness, I thought, oh, okay, here's something that I, that caught me by surprise, but it's one of those yeah. challenging things of this new season. So how am I going to deal with loneliness and what am I going to do to move through this? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of seeing it as like some sort of signal fire that you need to run the other direction, it's actually right. just embracing it as part. The right. low that you didn't know would be the low. Like you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You, you, know? you throw your hands up and go, I made a mistake. Let me run back. You know? And again, <laughs> yeah. I may be describing someone's story that they ran back. I get that. But yeah. at least give yourself some time to really move through this because I think if you move through those challenges, again, the other thing is there's some things happening inside of you that, mm -hmm. that need to take some time for, to either come out, up, uproot, or to, yeah. with, with, to sink deep down. And um, that's why I tell younger leaders, the fast track is slower than you think. And mm -hmm. that's a good thing. You, yeah. you can't fast track perseverance. You can't fast track resilience. You can't fast track character. You have to move through difficult times to allow those times to shape you. 
Mm. And if you move to next and hit a, you know, a rough patch and conclude you make a mis- made a mistake and run back to comfort, uh, I get that. But I think you may have robbed yourself of some ver- very valuable lessons. Yeah, just to hang in there. So, okay, moving to our, I could just feel our listeners, watchers who are like, okay, tell me something practical. Like you're describing my life. I'm trying to figure this out. I hear what you're saying. Get my financial house in order. Um, you talk about the power of 90 days in the book. So give us just a couple practicals that you recommend if a person's feeling that stirring, they're thinking about what's next. What is that? How does 90 days play into that process? So I think we, when, when it comes to next, we've, we, we, here's how we can think. Um, I got to figure out the rest of my life. Okay. And what I try to encourage people to do is you don't have to do that. You just have to figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of great things that can happen within 90 days. You can't change your life, you know, completely, but goodness, you can gain some momentum in 90 days. Mm-hmm. So what is, what are a couple of things that, that we could do over 90 days? Well, and I, I walk them through this in the book, you can increase the number of people in your personal network in 90 days dramatically. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we're two or three people away from our next opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we've all heard the old adage, as uncomfortable as it might make us feel, who you know is often more important than what you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I've tried to teach that to my kids because my kids have said, Dad, I don't want you to call that person for my job interview. And I'm like, well, honey, this is how the world works. But okay. <laughs> you know? so, so if you could increase your personal network and, and sit down with people and ask them the best personal networking question there ever has been, in my humble opinion, which is, who do you know that I need to know? And will you contact them on my behalf? Mm. If you do that for 90 days, oh my goodness, I feel like you will come across an idea, a conversation, an opportunity that currently does not exist. So if you just Mm. did that one thing over 90 days, that would, I think, be very, very helpful. We mentioned the financial piece. So I don't want to talk about that again too much, but I'll just say you can make, I've seen people retire tens of thousands of dollars of debt in 90 days, just with their, just with their increased focus. Mm -hmm. And then could you, the other option or idea I would give you is could there be a side hustle or something on the side that you Mm -hmm. launch and experiment with? So because, yeah. for example, because of my Chick-fil-A experience, I had a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, do you think I should be a Chick-fil-A operator, you know, owner of franchise? And my response is, I don't know, but I know <laughs> how you can figure that out. It's you, if you'll go down to your local Chick-fil-A and apply for a part-time job over the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. If over the next 90 days in this part-time job, you love it, you love serving people, you love the whole business, then you, t- you should take another step forward. If you get anxiety by working the drive-through, you're probably not going to want to be a Chick-fil-A operator. Yeah. So um, side hustles, you know, I think are really, really important. Building your personal network and gaining some financial momentum in those in those ninety days, you can do. And obviously, with your with your fitness background, you, know, you can if you begin to change some eating habits and you begin to be committed just for ninety days what's going to happen is you're going to get to the end of the 90 days and you're going to have momentum in that particular area. And you're sure. wanting, it's you, you want to keep the momentum going. Yeah. So there's a lot that can happen in 90 days. Gosh, that's so good. That's just so helpful. I'm thinking of my, 
my son is like launching into the world and we're right in that space where I'm teaching him about networking and about what it is and how to engage really well with people. And, you know, just to add to your adage, I didn't know where you were going to go with what you said. Um, what I would say is people love to talk about themselves. Absolutely. Like if you, if you want to genuinely be curious about someone's career, about their leadership, about their giftings, about who they are and why they got there with a genuine heart to just know them, they love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people love it. They'll be throwing you opportunities and you won't even be asking for them Absolutely. because they feel cared for and seen. And, so. and the biggest pushback I get is I don't want to bother people. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. here's the deal. If you're not, if you don't want to bother people, then uh, I mean, I hate, hate to say it this way, but you're, you're, you've, you've put a lid on your own potential. Yeah. And, but to your point, Nicole, you're not, meeting with them to say, Hey, you'll sit here for the next hour and let me tell you about me. You're That's coming right. to ask them questions about their story, how they got to where they are. Um, and then as you look at my situation, what would you do if you were me and who do you know yeah. that I need to know? And 100%. but to your point, people love sharing their story. They're not, they're not, yeah. they don't get this opportunity that much. And so you're in essence interviewing them. Now, please come with great questions. You know, when I, was, people, I was just about to say that. I'm like, please, please prepare. Please prepare. I mean, I, I've had people who said, hey, can I get on your calendar? Can I get on your calendar? I'm like, okay. And then uh -huh. they sit down and go, a little bit of this happened to me. Yeah, I, I don't really, I can't really remember why I wanted to meet or uh, yeah, yeah, I don't really, yeah. I don't really have anything, Jeff. So, yeah. I mean, what do you, and so, I, I, and so honestly, they're devaluing me by devaluing yeah. my time. And so please come with questions. And that's for me as, as someone who's hired lots of people over my career, if I get to the end of the interview, if I get to the end of the interview and they have no questions, like, so I said, so, you have any questions? Yeah. No, I don't think I have any. You have zero questions. You don't you're not, <laughs> you have zero questions about this place. You have zero questions about me. You have zero questions about the people that work here. About about the job that you applied for? Nothing. Nothing's yeah. coming to mind. And I'm telling you, Nicole, this has happened time and time again. And to yeah. me, I just don't move forward in the interview. Like if you if you haven't come prepared with questions, that shows me that you're not very interested in this yeah. in working with us. Mm, real talk, real talk with Jeff. Yeah, I'm real sorry. talk and with I'm the call. I like a nice it. guy. I'm usually a nice no, guy. No, I think this is not. This actually is kind. I don't know if it if it might not feel nice, but it's super kind to help people know. Like this is how you're perceived if you don't do that work up front. But you, but I love what you said. Like let's put it together with what you said earlier. Like the, your next opportunity is two or three people away. So. Absolutely. doing the work. And also the other thing, Jeff, all of these things that you're naming are also things that help people know if they really want to move to next. Because if the idea of getting a part-time job at Chick-fil-A for 90 days is not interesting to you, then you probably don't want to be an owner operator of a Chick-fil-A. You might just need to recommit to the job you're doing and be fine with it. I just feel like we're in a world that is full of all of these next opportunities that can fool people into thinking that they don't want to stay where they are. And I'm like, maybe you just need to recommit to the work you're doing. If none of these things sound good. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, you're reading my mail in the sense of, cause I'll, I'll, I've had so many conversations with people about this throughout the years. And, and, I, and at the end of the meeting, I go, okay, here's what you need to do now. You need to go back to your job and do your very, very best. And yeah. they look at me like, have you not been paying attention? I don't like working <laughs> here, but 
my experience is the pathway to your dream job often leads through your day job. And that's your personal network, understanding what you're good at, understanding what you're not good at. One of my first marketing jobs was with the Atlanta Braves. And I, one of the things they asked me to do was to do advertising sales in the game program when people, when, when fans would come to the baseball games and I would call like Coca-Cola and I was awful at it. I mean, my hands would sweat in the call. I would Mm. stutter. I just wasn't good at sales. (laughs) But I was good at the creative part of this. I was good at working with corporate sponsors. I was, was really good on, on that. And I remember sharing that with my dad. And I, I said, I'm just not so good at advertising sales. Like, whoa, 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 that's a gift. Understanding what you're not good yeah. at is a gift. Now let's lean into those things that you are good at and where, how you can fuel that. And so that's why I tell, I, I tell folks, don't move too fast through this current yeah. role. But to your point, you know, to be one or two or three people away from our next opportunity, I mean, apparently all of us are just six degrees away from Kevin Bacon with Footloose. <laughs> that's so right. It's if, also true. If that's true with Kevin Bacon, surely it's true with what to do next and just, you know, our next opportunity. It's probably like in the Christian world, we should make it like six degrees to Andy Stanley, like everyone. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Some religious leader out there, we've got to have six degrees. Or maybe we should go, we need to replace six with seven. So we'll go seven. Yes, let's make it a divine number. number. And if it's three, then you're really special. So yeah, you're really in. Uh, Okay, so what's next for you? I want to hear what's next um, coming up for you on your plate, short-term, long-term. So one of the things that I have told other people is you can check more than one career box. And Mm. that's what I've done for the next, that's what I've done throughout throughout my career. You have to be careful, you know, that you're not too fragmented and, and, and irresponsible with with the primary job responsibility. But now since it's just little old me and Wendy, I'm able to go, (laughs) you know, I'm going to check more than one career box. So I'm speaking. That's what I do. I serve churches and I go help them. Uh, We launched something at Gwinnett church called for Gwinnett. And the premise there is that many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Mm -hmm. So we're helping churches be known in their community for what, Therefore, I'm coaching communicators. So I've done that for a number of years. That that was a side hustle for me, Nicole, which is now the biggest part of my business. So when I talk about side hustles, it's not some some idea that I think people should do that I've never done. I launched a side business 12 years ago, helping preachers with their sermons. And Hmm. so much of what I taught them then is a huge part of my business now. Um, I work with John Maxwell and the Maxwell leadership team as a thought leader. That simply is, um, as, as, as John begins to think about his legacy, they're bringing different voices and different communicators mm-hmm. and thought leaders in, and they help me launch uh, what to do next. So there's the book writing part so of that cool. as well. So writing, speaking, but primarily it's communication and leadership. But one of the things I think this is helpful for your listeners as well is that Wendy and I ask ourselves is, is are we building the life that we enjoy? So when opportunities mm. come in, we have to look at that opportunity and go, like, for example, I turned down a few weeks ago, I turned down an opportunity to speak somewhere on Thursday because we're leaving here on Friday to go spend the weekend with our kids in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And we, we looked at that situation. It's an awesome opportunity, incredible people. But I don't think that's the life I want to, Yeah, that's not the life we want to build as it relates to that particular situation. So um, and and honestly, we're we're just hands open, going, Lord, what's next? You know, lead us so cool. and, and, and guide us. And so, um, but I wasn't going when I left two years ago. I didn't. I wasn't going from one job to the next. I was going from one job to. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I just feel called that this is the next season yeah. of of writing and speaking and 
and coaching and communicating. But here's the, and I promise this is my last point. Here's, (laughs) here's the beauty of all this. Like you and I didn't know each other two years ago. Right. Right. And I didn't even know I was going to write this book. Mm. But when you keep moving forward, that action, not unwise action, but you just keep moving forward. It's amazing how, how that leads you to like-minded, like-hearted people like yourself. Uh, John Maxwell, two months after I left, I was speaking at a conference with him and he said, I never had a clear vision. I just kept moving forward. And I just Mm. thought, wait, what time out? I understand how little old me, mere, mere mortal doesn't have a clear vision. What do I know? But John Maxwell, who's literally sold, you know, thousands and thousands billion. of books, right? <laughs> like, you, never, you never had a clear <laughs> vision. Oh, you just, okay. So if you keep moving forward, I think that's what I'm going to do. Just get up and, and keep moving forward and see where it, see where it takes me. And, and so that, that makes it, you know, exciting. It, it definitely creates some sleepless nights, but yeah, but God has your full attention in a season like this. Man, that is, this has been such an encouraging conversation for me. Just the same as you start going, you meet like-minded people and you're like, oh, there's a lot of people who check a lot of career boxes at once. There's a lot of people who serve in the kingdom in lots of different ways. And it is refreshing. And I do hope that there's some of our listeners and watchers who maybe are feeling like, man, what's next? You've got some practical things. You've got the book, which is awesome. And Hopefully you have a little bit of just inspiration that there's, um, as my friend Nancy Beach says to me, there's a lot of ways to live a good life. Mm. And I think Uh, that's a really helpful phrase. There's just a lot of ways to live a good life and we can find that way, whatever that looks like in the next season. So I ask all of our guests this last thing, super quick. What's just something that's bringing you life right now? A product, an app, a person, a place, What's something that you're just like, this is like, so this is the good life for me right now. So you're going to think that this, this will be the most lame answer in the history of your podcast. (laughs) That's what you think. But someone taught me how to have free, free Adobe PDFs and my life's been changed ever since. So go ahead. So my kids live in Birmingham and my daughter specifically in Homewood, Alabama. Homewood, Alabama is the best street in America in my, in my humble opinion, because it has a men's clothing shop that I love. It has a bookstore. That's yes. amazing. I love independent bookstores. It has the best cookie uh, store uh, there. It has a little workout place that I work out with my daughter. And it has this great hotel just right next across the street. It's everything. And my daughter lives within walking distance. It just it, it encompasses everything from books to workout to, to men's clothing. To, it's just like, this is, this is it. And I, I love it. So we're heading there uh, Friday. And, um, and so that's just something, and we're down there quite a bit. It's only two, two and a half hours from where we live. And, uh, so that's, that's that. I don't know if that's, again. I love it. It's fantastic. It's exactly what I meant. Okay, Thank you so great. much Thanks, Nicole. for your guidance, your wisdom, your practical stuff that you've given to us today. And let's be real. It has been awesome. Great to be here.